I uh, love uh, the idea of running. Right? I love the idea of running. I used to run. I, I still run, but I, I, used to, I used to love the idea of running and actually running uh, more than I do today. I, 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 have, uh, I, don't, I, I don't even like the idea of running nearly as much as I did at one time in my life. But, but uh, when I was younger, I did run track and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and then uh, when I was uh, uh, in college, I, I ran, you know, for fun. I don't, I, yeah, I was young. Uh, but anyway, I, I love the idea of running. And one of the things that I know about running is that there is a beginning and there is an ending. And the beginning is not bad. And the ending is delightful. It's that point in between, the beginning and the ending, that can be painful. In fact, if, uh, if you ever have uh, trained for a marathon or a half marathon, or if you ran uh, track in, in, uh, in, in high school or in college, or uh, if you run today just for the sheer delight of it, you know that there is the beginning. And, and once you get going, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's okay. You, you warm up, you, you start the race, and you start running. Uh, but then you start feeling the pain, whether it's you're running cross-country and you're going up a particularly, uh, 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 a particularly steep incline, or, or whether it's uh, you're on the track and you've hit your wall and you've got to press through. There is a deep amount of pain that goes along with that in-between before you get to the finish line. And you run in order to get to the finish. You run in order to to achieve the result, which was your goal. But the in-between can be derailing. Today, we begin a series of messages through what's known as Book 3 of the Psalter. That's Psalms. The Psalms is divided into five books. We're looking at Book 3, which is Psalms 73 to 89, and we're going to take each one every week until we get to the end of the race. But what we're going to discover is that the psalmist speaks about this in-between. The psalmist speaks each week and through each psalm, the psalmist has these heart-rending moments of the in-between. Now, we as followers of Jesus, we understand the in-between. We've begun the race. We, by faith, embraced Jesus. He brought us into the, friend, into the family of God and, uh, and through his own death on the cross and his resurrection. And by faith, we repented our sin and, and we took hold of Jesus and, and he became our king. We crossed that line of faith. We found life to replace the death that we once knew. We've begun the race. But even as we have begun the race, one of the things that you might not hear as often as you probably should, but being a follower of Christ does not mean that you're floating on the clouds through the race. It means that you are grinding it out every day. Some days it's filled with, uh, with uh, pancakes and popsicles and you're having a great time. Other days filled with rocks and coal and bitter fruit. But that's part of the journey. We've begun the journey and we haven't yet 
gotten to the finish line. So this in-between is in many ways a gutting it out, an endurance test for us. It's something what uh, what the writer of Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews chapter 12. He, he, in chapter 11, he talks about this great hall of faith. He's trying to awaken his readers to, to endurance, to, to stick to it, to, to, to stand fast and firm and to walk steadily on this race from here to heaven. They were living in between. And so Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews, I keep saying Paul because I kind of believe it was Paul, but we don't know who the writer of Hebrews was. Uh, so the writer of Hebrews, uh, he, he, he's, he, he takes them through this laundry list of heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, uh, men and women who endured uh, the, the, the struggle, endured the pain, endured uh, the uphill climbs and and, and, and he gave them this long list. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Paul says, here are your examples in the Old Testament, but here's who your focus must be. It must be Jesus who has rescued you, who has given you life, who has, who has paid the price for your sin, who has poured his spirit within you. You need to set your gaze on Jesus and run with endurance this race so that you get to the end just as Jesus did. Well, as followers of Jesus living in the in-between, in between here and heaven, we know that, that days can be difficult and the drama can unfold with chaos. But we still must run with endurance. Now, what the psalmist does in Psalm 73 is he begins by telling us that God is good. Now, that's, that's a statement that he makes, and, and it's, a, it's a grand statement, and it's a, it's a beautiful statement, and it's a wonderful sentiment, and one which we would say amen to, but the psalmist says God is good, and then he walks through his in-between moments. And he shares with the community of the faithful his own journey from God is good, but, but then struggling with the in-between. He's not where he needs to be, and, and, and he's going through the struggle and the pain of the here and now, and he looks around at him and he sees things that, that don't ring true to this declaration of faith that God is good. But, but as he takes us on this journey... He gives us insight into who we are as followers of Jesus. He gives us insight into who God is. And he ends the journey in verses 27 and 28. He ends the journey by saying, yes, indeed, God is good. Let's let's look at, at how the psalmist 
portrays this journey in, 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 uh, in Psalm 73. Let's begin in verse 1. Now, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 73 or get there on your Bible app on your phone or your tablet and, and, and let's look at what the psalmist says, what God is saying to us about our journey from here to heaven, about our journey in the in-between. Here's what the psalmist says, and this is the theme of the psalm. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Surely, truly, without a doubt, yes, God is good to those whose heart belongs to him. That's the statement, that's the theme of this psalm, that God is good to his people, to those whose heart belongs to him. He says God is good to Israel, and, and in the Old Testament we know that's the covenant people of God, and, 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 and as followers of Jesus on this side of uh, the cross and the empty tomb, we, we who are followers of Jesus have been grafted into the people of God. And, and so the statement, God is good to Israel, is certainly a statement to God is good to his people here today. God is good, and, and that is a term that describes the, the leadership of God that leads us to its proper and appropriate and good destination. It, it talks about the strength of God that undergirds us and holds us close to himself. It, it talks to us about, about the wisdom of God and how he leads us on this journey and, and, and he leads us in the right way to the right places. It, it talks about the plan of God and how that God's plan is never failing and, and God's plan is always good and brings him glory, but it brings us good. He, he's saying that God is good, that God uh, protects his people and that God delivers his people and that God directs his people. And, and that's a great promise for us. He adds this phrase in verse one, to such as are pure in heart, the pure in heart. And we remember Jesus saying, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter five in the Beatitudes and perhaps Jesus had this verse in mind. He certainly had the theme of pure in heart in his mind as he preached that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Jesus really uh, helps us understand what pure in heart means in Psalm 73 verse 1. The pure in heart are those who are singularly focused on God. The pure in heart are those whose heart are singularly devoted to God. The pure in heart are the ones that don't just say, God, I love you, but actually live every day, God, I love you. The pure in heart are the ones that don't merely say, God, I trust you, but they live every day, God, I trust you. They don't just say with their mouth, God, I worship you, but they live every day. God, I worship you. I bow my life before you. I give myself to you. I trust you. I love you. I worship you. As the psalmist declares, where God's goodness flows, 
He's declaring that God's goodness flows to those who belong to him. Those who, whose hearts are his. Now, please understand, as a follower of Jesus, you belong to him. But the question that we need to unpack at our own soul today, the question that the Spirit of God needs to, needs to ask us and answer with us is, is my heart truly his? Am, am I singularly devoted to him? Am I worshiping, worshiping him with my words, but not my life? Am I saying I love you, God, with my words, but not my life? Am I saying I trust you, God, with my words, but not my life? If, if that's who we are, then we are, we are building a dam between us and the flow of God's goodness. And the psalmist is going to kind of pick this up a little bit and talk about it. Today, friends, if you get nothing else, get this. God is good. He directs, he protects, he strengthens, he nourishes, he takes care of those who are his, whose hearts belong to him. And maybe the one thing that needs to happen in your life today as a follower of Jesus is to understand, yes, I belong to him, but my heart is far from him. My affections for him are merely words that I'm parrot on a particular day of the week. They're, they're not a lifestyle that I've given over to him. And, and today, perhaps, what, what needs to happen is, even before you go through the journey of the in-between, understand that if you're going to run this race with endurance, you have to give God your all. So as we look at this passage, let's unpack the journey that the psalmist went on. He made this declaration, but this declaration wasn't merely some, some religious aphorism that he threw out there. It wasn't just merely some religious words that he was repeating to the church uh, to whom he was preaching or singing. It, it wasn't just a song that he sang or wrote. It was something that he had lived. God is good. Indeed, truly. It was something that he knew, not just in his head, but in his heart, not just in his words, but in his experience. But to get there, he wants us to understand, was a journey in itself. As he moves from verse 1, then he begins to unveil the struggle of the in-between. And, and, and here's the thing, we all have this struggle of the in-between. All of us, if indeed you're a follower of Jesus, the struggle of the in-between is uh, things aren't working out exactly the way that you thought they should if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus. That, that not everything's hunky-dory in your world, that you're experiencing trauma and tragedy, you're experiencing difficulty and, and, and danger, you're, you're encountering the, the, the hard side of life. And, and in the midst of the hard side of life, how do you respond to that? Is God still good? This is the journey that the psalmist went on. In fact, this book in the Psalter, this, the, these, these books, these songs that we're going to look at over the next several weeks, out of all 150 songs, this one is filled with what is known as a lament, a complaint. 
The majority of the psalms that we're going to look at are are psalms that declare, God, this is what's wrong in my experience. This is what's wrong in my life. This is what's hurting in me. This is what is grieving my soul. And the beautiful thing about these songs is that they don't give just flip, churchy-type answers. Oh, God is good. But they actually take us on a journey in the midst of our own struggle. They take us on a journey emotionally and mentally and spiritually. They take us on a journey where we can walk through the in-between and declare even at the end, yes, indeed, God is good. So the psalmist begins with this declaration, truly God is good. Now look at verses 2 and 3 as he begins to describe his struggle. But as for me, so he says, yes, indeed, God is good. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Go on in verse 4. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other people, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak highly with eminence. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And and, and they, these wicked people say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? They're even mocking God in verse 11. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease, they increase in their riches. In spite of the psalmist's statement of confidence, he was struggling. He said, as for me, I almost stumbled. I almost fell. I almost had a fatal fall. I almost left my faithfulness to the Lord. He, 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 he says, I, I was in trouble. Now, why? Because he had the wrong focus. He had a focus on what the wicked were doing. His focus led him to an envy, a jealousy over all the things the people that were faithless toward God had acquired. He was looking at those who didn't love God, who mocked God, who who took power in their own hands and did things for their own selfish interests that perhaps even in the context of this song, they were oppressing the faithful, the faithless, oppressing the faithful. And and the psalmist was saying, what about me, God? You look at them and you see how wicked they are, how vice and sin oozes out of their soul. God, you look at them and you see how bad they are, and yet they're getting away with it. God, you look at them and you see how bad they are, and and there doesn't seem to be any downside in it for them. 
See, the struggle of the in-between sometimes is the struggle of a misplaced focus. The psalmist spent all his time looking at how bad people were getting away with their badness. And it led him to a place of envy, even bitterness. Now you see the description here, um, how, how the psalmist describes these wicked people. You look specifically in verses 13 and 14. He said, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Now he's plagued and chastened not by the Lord, but by these wicked people. He's plagued and he's chastened by these, by these wicked people who are strong even in death, who have riches when he is poor. And in verse 13, he says, he says, surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. You know what he was doing? He was falling prey to the disease of comparison. Guys, if there's one thing that derails us on our journey of faithfulness in between, in between here and heaven, if there's one thing that derails us is this disease of comparison. Well, I don't have this, but they've got that. Oh, don't you know all that I've done? Don't you know how faithful I've been? Here, I've been struggling. I've been fighting. I've, I've tried to do what's right. And they still get this, and I don't have that. The danger of comparison. It's a disease that afflicts us, that will derail us on this journey in between from here to heaven. It's a, it's a disease that the psalmist was clear about in verse 13. He said, I, I've, I've, I'm, I've washed my hands. I've maintained my faithfulness. He wasn't talking about perfection for himself, but he was talking about his pursuit. He had longed to be faithful to the Lord, and he had committed himself to be faithful to the Lord. And still, those who were unfaithful seemed to be getting ahead. Those who were unfaithful were lording it over him. Those who were unfaithful, who were mocking God, who were acting like they were in charge instead of God being in charge, they were getting away with it all, and they were oppressing him who was trying to be faithful. Have you ever felt like that? If you haven't, just hold on, you will. And the psalmist was saying, listen, God, as I compare my struggle to the wicked's prosperity, I think, how can you then be good? When when I look at my pain and I look at their pleasure, God, how can you be good? When I look at the losses that I experience every day because of my faithfulness to you. And I see all that they gain in the midst of their unfaithfulness to you. How then, God, can you be good? That's the journey that the psalmist was on. It's the journey that we all take if we're honest. We all take that journey. We all make those claims. If you haven't yet, just hold on. You'll feel it. Now, feeling it, understanding that, that this struggle of in-between is, is real and it's an honest emotion, but just because it's real and just because it's an honest emotion doesn't mean that's where we need to stay. 
The struggle of in-between when we face the wall of what he's talking about here is injustice toward him. When you face that wall of injustice, you're tempted to just stop. If you and I measure what we've got by what other people have, immediately we start getting jealous. It's the way it is. The minute we start evaluating all that they have, whoever they may be, compared to how little we have, we immediately begin drifting down, stumbling, feet slipping into that slimy pit of envy. And that is an undoing on our journey in between. So what do we do in response to that? Well, let, let, we'll get back to what the psalmist says, beginning in verse 15. But, but before I do that, let's just listen again to what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you ought to read Hebrews 11 and just see all the struggles that these faithful men and women, heroes of the faith, what, what they endured, lions and tigers and bears. Thank you. They, they endured sword and famine and nakedness and peril. They endured the losses of family, the losses of fame, the losses of riches. They endured. Therefore, surrounded, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance, the race been set before us. And here's the key. He doesn't say, set your gaze on what the wicked people are doing. He doesn't say, take great note of all the things that they have. He doesn't say, take note of everything that they're getting away with. No, he says, let us run with endurance. The race has been set before us, looking unto Jesus, setting our gaze on Jesus, setting our focus on On Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Talking about great loss. Jesus, perfect in every way, pleasing God with absolute perfection, and yet Jesus is the one betrayed, abandoned, and killed. Not for anything that he had done, but all because of what you and I had done in our sin against a holy God. The psalmist takes us on that same journey of setting our focus in the right place. I want you to begin reading there in verse 15. Psalmist says, If I had said I will speak thusly, speak what? That God's unjust? If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. What is is the psalmist doing here to battle the struggle of the in-between? He focuses on God in worship. 
He comes to the sanctuary of the Lord, and and this is no half-hearted, just going through a ritual kind of worship. This isn't just sitting in our proper spot and, and reciting the proper words at the proper time. This is the psalmist coming before the holy God in the holy place, and he's saying to God, God, I don't understand. Help me. Help me. Did you get He said, when I thought about this, when I tried to understand, it was too painful. It was exploding my mind. I couldn't handle it. He said, I I want to be faithful to the generations. I want to be found faithful. And by the way, listen, the picture here is of a worship leader who's walked through testing time, who's probably older in his life, standing before the generations of the people of God, singing this song, not some dry, not some dried up expression of somebody else's journey, but he has written this song of his journey for the people of God to be encouraged. And he said, here's where clarity came when I focused on God through worship. Here's where clarity came. Here's where understanding took root in my heart. It's when I got my focus off myself and off others and set my focus firmly on God. Friends, I've got to tell you, there's something that should be happening every time we gather together with God's people in worship. And that something that should be happening is we should regularly find a reorientation of our thinking and our living every time we encounter God through his word, through worship. There needs to be some reorientation in your soul, not just gaining more information, but experiencing a transformation. That's what happened to the psalmist. He went to the sanctuary. And when he went to the sanctuary, God changed him again and gave him understanding. And it it wasn't that, that the psalmist didn't know what God had told him. He knew it already, but there was something new, something fresh that took place in the heart of the psalmist at this time. I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 62, uh, 63 verses one and two. In Psalm chapter 63 verses one and two, The psalmist says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. When we are struggling in the in-between, when our knees grow weak and our, and our, and our souls are winded, when we face the wall of, of injustice or, or bitterness or envy, when, when we're trying to run the race with endurance, but we get stuck, it's in that moment we need the power and the glory of God to overwhelm us. And friends, that happens supremely when God's people get together. And if you're not experiencing it, Understand, God is here. His word is opened. His power is available. You're a follower of Jesus, so take hold of him. Stop living by proxy, waiting for somebody else's endurance test 
to then give you endurance, but rather set your gaze on Jesus, set your focus on the Lord God, take hold of him, find strength, his strength, nourishing your soul to reorient your way of thinking and your way of living. Be transformed as the spirit of God enlivens his word in your heart so that you become strong again. Today, now, focus on the Lord God. Stop focusing on everything else. Focus on the Lord God. As he focused on the Lord God, he began to understand. Verse 17, he says that he understood their end. Literally, he began to understand the consequences of their rebellion against God. Up to this point, he had just been seeing their pleasure and his pain. All he could see was their comfort and his catastrophe. But as he set his focus, his gaze upon the Lord God, he began to understand He began to understand the consequences of their rebellion against God. You look, beginning in verse 18, he says, Surely, God, you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, you, when you awake, you shall despise their image. So he says, hey, listen. I see what's happening. This is the in-between. This is the in-between, and I may be going through the pain of this journey, and it seems like others are getting away scot-free in their rebellion against God. But the truth is, the journey's not finished yet. He saw the end, the end of those who despised God. It was judgment. It was an eternal catastrophe. Today, today does your heart break for those who don't know God? Or is your heart envious toward those who don't know God? See, that's a great test because if your heart is envious toward those who don't know God because they have comfort, you have catastrophe because they have, they have prosperity and you have poverty because, because they have pleasure and you have pain and you look at everything they're getting away with and you, you envy them. If that's your heart, then you need a reorientation today. You need to see that this journey has a beginning and an end. and We're just in between. But if your heart breaks... For those who are unfaithful to God, who are separated from God, then your heart is in the right focus. You, you see them and your heart breaks for them because you understand that even though they have their pleasure today, pain is coming. That even though they may have their comfort in their little toys and games today, you know that calamity is coming. Even though they experience pleasure today in their quick doses of mundane living. There's judgment coming. And your heart breaks for them. And you long for them to have the life that you have rather than you long to have the life that they have. When we focus on God in worship, 
everything changes. Guys, are you being changed? Not by my words. These are just words from a man who's gone through this journey himself. Are you being transformed by God's word, by him? As we are being transformed and as we focus on who God is, then then perhaps today the, the challenge for us is to repent of our foolish focus. I, I, I have to do this regularly, and I just want, can I just talk to you just for a second? Repenting of my foolish focus is a daily thing for me. It's, it's not an occasional thing. It's not an every decade thing. It is a daily thing for me. I have a foolish focus that regularly rises up in me. I want you to hear how the psalmist describes his foolish focus. Uh, verses 21 and 22, he says, Thus my heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a behemoth, a beast, a monster before you, O God. In the end, the psalmist turned toward God and away from his foolish focus, but, but he, was, he, he, he wasn't happy about what he was thinking. He, he was grieved. You know that you're being transformed when your heart is grieved over your foolish focus. In some translations, he, he said, I was stupid and dumb. I was acting like not a mule. I was acting like a monster before God. See, somehow, even the psalmist has the disease of our arrogance and pride. You know, our arrogance and pride that rises up in us. It says, we deserve better than this. And the psalmist, when he had his encounter with holy God, when he met God in the sanctuary, as, as, as he saw the power and the glory of God, it's in that moment that, that his heart grieved and he repented. He repented in thinking that God's plan wasn't the best plan. He repented in thinking that he had a better plan than God had, that he knew better than God did. Guys, are you repenting of your foolish focus? If not, you need to. I don't say that with with joy. I say it with my own sorrow, knowing how much I have to repent when it comes to the focus of my heart. Are you repenting your foolish Focus. Look at verses 23 through 26. He writes, nevertheless. So once he repents of his foolish focus, then he begins to awaken again to the goodness of God. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll receive me to glory. There's the finish line. Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? There's none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my inheritance, my portion forever. See, the the psalmist realized again that God is good. That God is good because God walked with him. And the psalmist no longer looked at 
things of this earth as his delight, he began to see once again that his greatest joy, his greatest delight, his greatest strength, his greatest hope is him being with God. Oh, joy to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who has brought us to God, who has given us a friendship with God, who has brought us into the family of God. Our greatest delight is not the things that we can hold in our hand, not the things that we can amass in our IRA or our bank account. But our greatest joy, our greatest delight, the thing that spurs us on with strength, his walking hand in hand with God himself. That is our delight. And if that's not enough for you, friend, then you need to repent your foolish focus. If that's not enough for you, then your head and your heart is in the wrong place. Our delight is God himself. So finally, the psalmist ends with this great declaration, verses 27 and 28. In 27 and 28, the psalmist says, For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for unfaithfulness. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I've put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. In the end, the psalmist comes back to his original theme, having traveled through his own in-between, and he declares, truly, indeed, God is good. Would you bow your heads, please? As we've gathered here today, my prayer for us is that we would worship the Lord. And in this moment, as we are seeking to run this race with endurance, perhaps your focus has been in the wrong place. You've struggled, you've you've encountered the struggle, but your focus is in the wrong place. Please, everyone, just don't, don't just pass over that as if that's not you. Will you stop? Will you just ask, oh God, is my focus wrong? Am I looking toward the wrong things? Is my focus wrong? And if so, will you repent of a faulty focus? Perhaps you're you're in the midst of the struggle and you desperately need God's strength. You need to see his glory. Today I invite you to just cry out to him. Cry out to him and find the strength and the glory that he makes available to you today. There's nothing better than God himself. And as followers of Jesus, in this in-between, in-between here and heaven, you have God. So will you cling to him?
Will you lean upon him? Will you not merely say with your words, I love God, but will you give him your heart with all your love? Will you not merely say with your words, I trust God, but will you give him your heart with all your trust? Will you not merely say with your words, I worship God, But inspired by Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith, you worship the living God with all that you are. Now, Father, in these moments as we worship you, as we adore you, as we bow our lives before your presence, oh God, will you speak to our hearts and draw us to yourself? Will you call us to a heart of repentance. Will you help for us in the final analysis just to focus on you? And be glorified in what you accomplish in this place this morning, in the hearts and lives of your people, and may we all be encouraged to press on with endurance this race that you've set before us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.